I am Adam, Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. We're here to meet our dad. I'll take you to him. Come with me. Wait, that's dad's watch! Images capture, hold steady what might run. But sounds are ephemeral. Cartoons, a confrontation between the having and an attempt to hold. In 1978, Lanford Wilson wrote The Fifth of July. I have some problems with Wilson's dramaturgy, but I love his titles. Burn This, The Hot L Baltimore, The Fifth of July. So specific. Titles become times, and times create titles. The 5th of July reminds me of another time for poetry, September 1. This day, immortalized by poet W.H. Auden, the 1st of September, 1939. Uncertain and afraid, as the clever hopes expire of a low, dishonest decade. Saturday morning. A state of suspended animation. Chimera, camera, Candace Cameron. Whatever happened to predictability? The milkman, the paper boy, the evening TV. So I prayed that sinner's prayer uh, when I was 12 years old. Just what I want, so I give my dad a smile. I asked daddy, please, can we get some of these? He said, you're gonna get cavity. Obviously, Full House is not a Saturday morning cartoon. But ultimately, Saturday mornings are a state of mind. Saturn, the god of turning on the TV and sitting on your parents' itchy rug. Saturday, the day before Utsi Sunday. I'm trying to draw a weird timeline. A timeline that isn't so much a line as it is a cat's cradle. Jacob's ladder, the hardest one. These little loops on my thumbs stretch out and expand, forming a network. A structure of feeling. Association. Memories. Ghosts and synthesizers. That said, it should be noted that, in the early 90s, Full House was part of a programming block on ABC. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Once a year, they would air a program on TGIF where characters from TGIF 
would promote new Saturday morning cartoons. The hottest cartoons are coming this Saturday on ABC. Family Matters promoted a new cartoon starring new kids on the block. I can't decide whether the new kids are cuter in real life or as a cartoon. Liveness and animation, all mixed up. A maelstrom of music and people and toys and images and people as images. Images pretending to be people. Sounds pretending to be people. Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. Treg Brown was a sound editor for Warner Brothers from 1933 to 1966. He also created sound effects. Sound designer Gary Rydstrom claims Brown as one of his idols. Rydstrom quotes Brown as saying, Never use an appropriate sound. Turn him to me, and I shall reward you with a spider goulash. A roadrunner does not say beep beep. A cage rattle is not a refrigerator. But of course coyotes falling off a cliff sound like World War II jets. Of course roadrunners say beep beep. Of course Donnie Wahlberg has two selves, one animated and one less animated. <laughs> What would you do without your poop? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Noisy Ghost. I'm Eleanor Russell, and I am here with our usual co-hosts, uh, Andre Kello. Hey. And Eric Wenzel. Hey, hey, hey. And our new special ghost, Alex Phillips, a playwright. Hey, guys. Hey. And we are here to discuss Saturday morning cartoons. Now, we actually all just got done watching a bunch of Saturday morning cartoons together, including the majority, I think, of the Transformers movie. About half. About half of it. And we watched... I don't think we really got it, though. You don't think we really experienced no. it fully enough? Well, all right. Well, I, I felt I did. Yeah, uh, I felt like I, I got it. <laughs> no, we got it, but, you know. I was staring at that TV forever. It felt like I was a child again. Yeah. Yeah. When you stare at it for long enough, eventually you just start to accept whatever it presents to you. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Well, but that's a thing about children's programming that I think isn't true for other kinds of programming. Like, I'll be watching a shitty, like, for faking it, for example. When we were watching that, I was just like, oh. I, I don't accept any of this. None of this is, being, is, being, is going through my brain and passing my because bullshit it's detectors. It's controversial. Well, yeah, it's way too controversial. Contra- controversial. Controversial. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that you just stare through. Like all the all the shows I love to watch on Ion Television, that's part part partly partially. Why? Wait, what are those like the kid shows or not kid shows? No, no, I was I was offering that as a counter to the kid. Okay, but you need to be more specific. Oh, I'm sorry. I just think of it all as one block (laughs) of things that the shows on Ion Television. Um, you know, like Canadian SWAT team and (laughs) uh, mathematician detective and Sherlock no it's it's literally it's called numbers but the E's are oh yeah Yeah. and he's like well I have to write uh, an equation to solve this crime 
but it's all to me it's that it's like the grown-up version of of cartoons so you're just kind of like oh yeah oh yeah with a grown-up version what is the grown-up version of cartoons i was gonna say cops because i that that i can accept that i watch what about law and order the law and order franchises ncis is definitely i think you guys are taking you're you're coming at this the wrong way okay okay we're not even talking about cartoons even well i i believe that saturday morning cartoons were the beginning of making television for expressly for a child audience like rather yeah. than try to create something that would appeal to kids like as a an addition to you know just like oh we'll try to make a good TV show and we'll hope, we hope kids will like it right no but, they made it you're saying they made it for kids well yeah but specifically to the exact uh social and economic reality of children in America in the 60s 70s 80s and 90s did they have well yeah i guess so but that's div- got... but they're diverse i mean that's not a monolith they're well, yeah, and that's why it changed a lot over time. Saturday morning cartoons in the 70s look very different from Saturday morning cartoons in the early 90s. That's true. Also, that explains why those cartoons are awful, because kids are dumb. That is 100%. I mean, kids are dumb, but like yeah. not as dumb as people seem to think that they are, I think, in general. I mean, I yeah, think not that... as dumb as the writing on this. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, because weren't a lot of these, when you were a kid, you were like, this is awful. Yeah, I would watch it like grudgingly. Like, yeah, oh, I gotta, I gotta do it. I mean, like, I loved it, but at the same time, it was just like I gotta sit through this terrible one to get to yeah. the one that I want. I never felt that way. I, f- I feel like I was always watching shows, and I- my favorite shows were actually the ones that everyone hated because they were really like safe and there weren't any adventures on it. Like, <laughs> I didn't like shows where people were rude to adults or like. <laughs> disrespectful like I was like all I wanted was like boring shows where everyone was very safe and cozy and warm and like all my stories were like that too but like I would write short stories when I was a kid and they're all like and then she got up from a nap and then like ate some porridge like that was like my dream if they so, had made a show for me like, like that was like that so then why do you why do you hate Bobby's world then I don't I don't hate Bobby's world I used to watch it I don't actually remember that much about it yeah I don't really oh, it's the best show ever oh. <laughs> wait now now it's yeah. all coming wow, back that was really to me good. Now. Oh, yeah. uh, well, how did you feel about Saved by the Bell? That show was awesome, and Full House was great because. It, but, it, but but Zach Morris is—he's completely disrespectful to his. He elders. was not what I like. What I like in the first two acts, he is. Yeah, and then and he, he learns, learns respect. Well, like, that's what I like. Is it appeals? I I feel like a lot of kids, particularly like smarty little girls, mm-hmm. is that they like like the Brady. Like I love the Brady Bunch. I love things that appeal oh, yeah. to my like sense of justice and yeah. morality. Oh, yeah. I like that a lot. Why? I think it's because I felt very anxious as a kid all the time and very uncertain. And I still feel this way, but I feel like my my intellect is more and my like... Uh, the world is an ugly place and you're suffering all the time. And so you- I'm like able able to respond to it more uh, abstractly and intellectually as opposed to just viscerally and emotionally like I was interested in when I was a kid. But why did you still only like the safe ones? Um, like, I mean, there's justice and morality in, like, Batman or Superman or something. And there's a lot of action. Yeah, but there's a lot of, like, plot and stress. And it's, <laughs> I hate plot. I hate plot so much. So, so how are you, well, how are you handling this 
we didn't see the end of Transformers. It's a cliffhanger now. Like, well, that was just sort of beautiful. I think I right. liked the. It was so abstract. All of the action. It's just a, a bunch of clouds the only... of explosions. Star Trek was not stressful to me for this reason, as I, I was just like everyone. It's just so. It was so incomprehensible yeah. to you that you weren't invested oh, yeah. at all. You, uh, it was just washing over you like a wave. I loved that. Yeah. I I think I well that was yeah the the Star Trek cartoon of the seventies I think right that, yeah that's right yeah and as, it, as, as we heard the clips from yeah which was beautiful the, the music the, the like disco jingling well, it sounded like that song was made out of solid gold the theme starts out like sort of spooky like ooh mm. what's gonna happen and then it ends with like da 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 like it's yeah. more jangly I don't know maybe I'm just I wanted to go into Denver, the last dinosaur, because that's the only thing that like is in my brain right now. I think that the the orchestration is supposed to give you this feeling of like the peace and emptiness of space, and then mm-hmm. the Enterprise enters, and the Enterprise is full of ad- action and beauty. And Casey and the Sunshine Band. Mm. I'm sorry. No, no, I know, but, but I like pop popples and pound yeah. puppies, and I also was a kid when I was a kid. I was in a lot of special ed classes as a kid, and so in special ed classes, you watch a lot of shows. Even if you're like nine, you watch a lot of shows that are like four, like three and four year olds. It's like a thing. Uh-huh. And so I think I continued to watch like Popples when I was like eleven. Like the it was it's embarrassing. That you've told about being in special ed makes me think that there's going to be a, like an American horror story that takes place in a special ed classroom. It's pretty well, bleak. yeah, because you have all the you could have all these violent children offenders. Well, and it's like weird because I was in I was in regular kid classes too, and then I would just go to like my like this is the hand the special handwriting class for nine year olds. Like that was like my 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 experience. So I was always I had the best of both worlds. Sorry, I'm just gonna sing a lot today. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I wanted to go back to qu- quickly the Star Trek thing though. Um, so because I you know I remember it being on Nickelodeon or something in the '80s. At like a really random time, like because it was being br- rebroadcast, and uh, it was like weekdays, but during the day when like kids weren't home yet from school. So I saw it when I was half day in kindergarten or something. It's uh, the kind of stuff that you would see if you were sick. Yeah, yeah, and I just remember being like, "All right, I'll give it a try." And then just being like, "Oh, you can make this a cartoon, but you can't make Star Trek interesting to me." Like, nice try. Eventually, nice try, TV. Eventually, you were captured by Star Trek. Oh, for sure. But as a, you know, as a six-year-old or whatever age you are in kindergarten, I, I was still like, I think I I was also like, oh, I'm being smart watching the Star Trek cartoon. What, you I, have to be old enough that's to, a grown underst- up cartoon. to understand how stressful a staff meeting can be. Yeah. There's a part of me that thinks, and I'm going to get a lot of heat for this from because I know a lot of people that are very invested in animation, and I think animation is extraordinary, but I... When I was younger, I thought it was weird that there were animated, and I still sort of do, that there are animated shows for adults. Like, it seems mm. so, like, like, like why? Like adult animation? Like, hentai? Well, <laughs> not even that, like, like when I was a kid, I was like, South Park, like, it's, I was like, I really wanted to watch South Park, but I wasn't allowed to. And I was like, but why? It's animated and, like, not even, like, particularly well. Like, I didn't understand. It made no sense to me. And then I remember watching an episode, and my mom was in the, like, on the couch, and I was on the, and it was, like, one where... Cartman is talking about pubes, and he's like, "I want to get pubes. I really need pubes ah, or something." I want my pubes. <laughs> and my mom was like, "What is this? No, like, no, you are not going to be watching this." And I was like, "Okay, so she sounds like Cartman's mom." Oh, what is this cartoon you're watching, honey? <laughs> I was like, "Not our pubes." But not only is this, a sh- I was like, so when I was a kid, I thought, "Oh, not only is this a cartoon for adults, it's worse than the kid cartoons." Like, what oh. is this pubes? This isn't funny. Like, I, you know, oh. now I. Think oh, I thought you were like, "What is this pubes thing?" <laughs> 
what what is what is this concept you have of of human love? Yeah. Wait, but I have a question about Star Trek the animated series because it sounded like when I was listening to the the theme that it was the same that it was Patrick Stewart, but that's no, not true. No, no, it's no. not. It just Shatner. sounded like it. You're very I, bad at this. I'm terrible. You're saying William You're very Shatner. bad at Star Trek. I'm really bad at Star Trek. I'm sorry, you guys. Um, you mean you mean William Shatner? Yeah, sorry, Patrick Stewart, because he's totally listening to this. Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, it wasn't. It, I, he might have. It all. It's also like one of those things, you know, where they're they're doing the tie-in, so they would like maybe hire the actor to voice the opening mm-hmm. scene, and then they're like, just we'll have someone that sounds like him. Well, th- this is one of the weird things about animated uh, TV shows, because they were always trying to cut costs. Right, but they were still wa- they wanted to uh, grab your attention. So, for example, like in the Garfield cartoon, you have Lorenzo Music doing the voice of Garfield, and he sounds like he's doing an impression of Bill Murray, right? Uh, and he, the connection got to be so strong that later on, when they did the Garfield movie, they had Bill Murray going and do the voice. Oh, I didn't know that about Bill Murray. That's how they got him was because of the people were like, oh, were like, we people Bill just Murray. assumed that Bill Murray had done the voice because the guy yeah. was doing a voice that sounded so much like Bill Murray. And a lot of uh, uh, voice uh, in voice acting in animation for all the way back to, you know, Disney and Looney Tunes was the idea that, uh, you know, we we can have it sound as close to the the thing that we're trying to make it sound like as we want, as long as we're able to get a guy who can do it. And right. so all you have to have is somebody who can do a celebrity impersonation. Right. And also you save uh, you save a lot of money by just having one person do a bunch of different voices Yeah, because you only give them one paycheck. So you end up with this thing where you're listening to these. Also, it's really hard for someone to find a job. This is the only way they talk. Sure. Right. Yeah. I wonder how many of those people actually were cartoon cats. (laughs) <laughs> and then they bring them in to be the voice of the cartoon dog and the voice of the cartoon Well, it's funny you brought that up giraffe. because I heard a story about that. Oh. Um, well, it's a shame <laughs> Eric's not here to tell. <laughs> uh, this guy's walking down the street and he sees a sign in the window that says, Talking Cat for Sale. And he walks in and there's no one in the store. There's just this orange cat sitting on the counter. And he's like, oh, are you the talking cat and he's like why yes i am and he's like really and he's like of course and he's like well how'd you get to be here and the uh talking cat says oh well you know i was created in a lab and uh you know it was like a science experiment and i was gonna be a a spy in the cold war um you know because they're like who would suspect a cat and you know i'd just hang out and i'd like record information that i'd call up the cia and like tell them what i heard and um, so I did that for a while, but then, you know, peace broke out and uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, so I, and they shut the lab down and um, so I had to do a bunch of different jobs. And uh, so I ended up getting voice work uh, as, as a cartoon cat voice because, um, you know, I sounded more like a cartoon, you know, like a cat because it was a real cat talking. And um, but, you know, now I kind of want to settle down and uh, I'm going to. You know, that's why I'm in this pet shop, because I, I just want to, you know, retire, get out of the limelight and and all that. And the guy goes, well, how much are you? And he's like, well, let me let me check. Let me go ask the owner. And then he comes back and he's like, uh, uh, you can have the cat for 50 cents. And he's like, really, just 50 cents. This is amazing. And he's like, yeah, well, I guess. But 
Well, I totally forgot where I was in the story. Oh my god, Eric, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> no, oh he, my god. No, I've, I've not, I've, the punchline is that Eric is playing a trick on us. The punchline, no. The so punchline he goes, is he, he is the talking cat. The, no, the punchline. <laughs> Eric has been a talking cat this, <laughs> this whole time. time. No, the punchline, um, he's like, well, is he not really a talking cat? Why is it so cheap? And the, the owner's just like, yeah, he's a real talking cat, but he never shuts up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm gonna sell you for fifty cents. That was like a cartoon play. story. Yeah, like I wasn't really paying attention. In the that whole it was time. shittily told. Yeah, it was yeah. shittily told. It had a talking cat. <laughs> that reminds me of like the kind of jokes that like, like my Unitarian minister used to tell, like stuff like that. And then later on, we're supposed to learn something. Like yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever you say Unitarian, I just imagine like space Christians. Unicron? Unicron. Yeah. Galvatron, oh. the robot. Wait, actually, let's talk about Unicron um, and his magical sphincter that sucks up uh, all Oh, the, God, I, I'm glad you said all that. All the yes. uh, Autobots and uh, Decepticons and everything that he possibly can. It's like a reverse butthole. It was weird. Like, at one point, I felt like it, like, opened up to reveal, like, more butthole underneath. Like it was just like it was like his skin peeling back, and there was just oh, like, yeah, that's like right. butthole meat. I don't or know. it's just a series of buttholes like <laughs> yeah. up until the core, and then yeah. there's just like a rock. I don't know what would be what would be after at the end of the series of buttholes if you were on that journey. Well, there's a tortoise, yeah. and, and then more buttholes. <laughs> a tortoise. It's, it's buttholes all the way down. <laughs> Everything's coming up buttholes. So wait, his name's Unic. Unicorn? Unicron. Oh, so they literally took the word unicorn and just- And made it less girly. Well, they just switched the O and the R, right? He doesn't look much like a unicorn. He looks like a- uh, But he does look like a singular crown, like the- Anyway, when when the pointy stuff comes out, it looks kind of like a crown. I think it's because he's got- uh, He doesn't digest his corn fully. Yeah. Do you think they (laughs) designed Unicron in the movie and on- is he on the show? I don't know if Unicron is no. on the show. No, no he's not. not. He's just in the movie. Okay. If they designed him to look like Orson Welles, like if that was like Orson Welles in his later years. Oh, yeah. I think they Spherical were Spherical like, and mostly butthole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think they're like, this guy's a total butthole. Uh, I'm sure he was a butthole to work with at the end. But, and he eats a lot. I mean, what, yeah. what do we yeah. know about Unicron is that he eats a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Reverse butthole. Yeah. yeah. I have to say uh, his voice was pretty amazing, though. Oh my god, it was yeah. great. You're like, oh my, yeah, it was. It it had force. He could have been phoning it in, and I wouldn't have known. I'd been like, oh, the force of your voice is so good. As much as they cut costs on the voices for the cartoons, the voice is always the most nuanced and uh, best developed aspect of the cartoon. Definitely, it's like the most lively. It's the thing that marks them as actually like characters worth caring about because the rest of it is just like, you know, they when they're animating they'll like move one one they can only move one thing at a time so like they'll turn their head but then the rest of their body doesn't move and like so like oh, you just yeah. yeah like Andre described it during the thing is like they're either just running or talking like that's the only thing they do and as much as the plot is driven by the dialogue that you don't actually you never see them talk very much like they don't talk uh for you know they don't have long conversation scenes they'll they'll say Oh, we have to go save the princess. You know, the, the swamp people are going to try and turn her into a stew or whatever. And, you know, they don't have a like a long conversation scene like in Star Trek. Star Trek would do, they would use dialogue to save money. Star Trek is just a play. It's just they're, like yeah, a like, filmed play. It, it's funny you talk about plot and dialogue just because like really all that I remember about most of these cartoons is the running. Like 
for Scooby-Doo yeah. is just running in that doo-doo-doo-doo-doo yeah. noise, you know? Scooby-Doo, I think, is the most egregious of the, uh, like, in terms of, like, formula usage. Like, it is... And by egregious, you mean awesome? I hate Scooby-Doo. I hate really? it. And kids love it, I what? think, because of it's because it's the same every time. It, like, Eleanor. it's comforting. I fucking hate it. I hate Scooby-Doo. I have, I have always hated it. That was my shaggy. Ugh. And I always wanted to what? like Daphne because I'm a terrible. I was a terrible feminist as a child, and I always liked the pretty one. Like I was like, I- even though I was like, oh, you should like Velma. Like no, I, I like the I like the beautiful one. But but even- Daphne didn't have any characteristics. I know, but she was pretty, and I wanted to be pretty, and I still I still. Yeah. I I <laughs> hate I hate Scooby Doo up until the point when they mentioned Scooby snacks, and then I'm sold. I don't know. I just find <laughs> what Scooby's are they? What's in those things? It's something that both a Shaggy and a Scooby can eat. <laughs> Oh man. Which means I would like it probably. Yeah. Dog food that's palatable to humans? Yeah. It, I think it reminds me of uh I mean, the, ever had... the Turkish delight from Yeah. Uh, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe because just how Fred gets them to spy on the beavers. <laughs> okay, anyway, Andre was talking about Turkish delight. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to just say that cat food tastes really good actually. Like the dry mix. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the talking cat? <laughs> I think he's uh, Nomi Malone from Showgirls. Does she eat Does cat she food? Eat cat? She ate dog food. And they, they have some like sexy conversation about how much they both <laughs> liked eating dog food when they were children. Whoa. Wait, wait. Oh, my God. Okay, we're going to do an episode about Showgirls. That's going to happen. Um, uh, okay, so um, a little bit of uh, history, if you don't mind, about how uh, Saturday morning cartoons got to be the way that they were, right? Like... Uh, so Saturday morning, obviously, you know, a lot of people weren't going to be watching TV. So they figure, well, you know, we can create these programs as, as expressly as a way to sell things to children, right? This was in the 60s when, uh, you know, children had uh, a greater impact on uh, commercialism, right? They were... Uh, beginning to spend more money on toys because there was more money to go around. The middle class was beginning to emerge. And at the same time, in the late 60s, there was a a thawing of relations with China. And uh, plastic was developing as a a new, cheap way of creating toys, right? But how do you get these kids to buy the cheap plastic toys you make in China? You have to advertise, well, now, were we were were we manufacturing in China before Nixon went there, or was that only after? Uh, the uh, trade relationship with China greatly expanded in the seventies as a result yeah, of a, a change in uh, right? American uh, diplomatic relations. I, I think it's really funny the way that businesses or like these these advertisers think of children, where it's like they have to bombard them with these loud noises. And like yeah. and like bright pictures, just like because kids they, they don't fucking pay attention, you know they don't listen to my. You should see my kid; he doesn't listen to me. Um, <laughs> no, but like, uh, it's weird because it, it's like they they make the show, the cartoon show, like that, just like really loud and really like bright, and then they make the 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 ads like that too, and then it just all becomes one big just like calamity that just like yeah. induces like a trance though you and know? it was the, it's overstimulating it was yeah. the uh the fcc the regulations that changed in the 80s that allowed you to advertise toys that were licensed from the show 
And so that was how in the 80s you had shows like uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers and, and Popples and a number of other shows that were invented with the idea that we'll create a narrative that the the children who are watching will get invested in and want to buy the toys. And this there, there was a guy who uh, came up with the idea of what it is for something to be toyetic. And this was a, a term that he came up with when he was talking uh, with this is in, um, I guess, 1978, I think. The, uh, he was talking with um, Steven Spielberg about creating a line of toys for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And, uh, you know, the guy says to Spielberg, I can't make toys from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You're, this movie has nothing to do with the qualities that would create a successful line of toys. Uh, and then he goes on to describe to Steven Spielberg what toyetic is wait so the the Simon that like boo 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 toy is that from Close Encounters of the Third Kind? I think that's older than that. Is it? Oh, yeah, I, it is older than that. All right. They did have action figures because I've seen them. Yeah, but yeah, you're not gonna have little four year olds being you know, like, oh, right. I I want to be Francois Truffaut. You know. Well, the thing is there is Francois. But the reason he's in the movie. Yeah, the reason right. you wouldn't have that is not because it's like as a as a figure he's um necessarily above kids' heads, although he probably is, maybe. But he's taller than they are. I think I think what happens Barely. is <laughs> it's not like you were saying you want to create a narrative in order to sell toys. It's it's not the narrative in and of itself that sells toys. It's the moments, these like sensation scenes, like to borrow like a nineteenth century term. Um that uh becomes sort of uh inscribed in the kid's memory and that so and that necessarily involves character. All right. So it's really more selling, I think, character yeah. that is necessarily developed through a narrative. Um, but it's the character that kids are responding to. A particular to. kind of character. A yeah. character who has uh, accessories that you can buy, who has a vehicle. A character who has a variety of different iconic has uh, a habitus. Yeah. Uh, costumes. Uh, a character who has uh, strong relationships with a villain and has, you know, like there's uh, maybe he has a pet. You know, maybe uh, somebody physically strong, somebody uh, very active, somebody sort of like um, the the guy that Hamlet is trying to be in Hamlet. You know, he he's uh, you know going out and solving problems and giving children access to a fantasy where they are active participants in the world instead of constantly these uh, passive victims of the circumstances in which they find themselves. Okay. But it's also, I think it's like also just a name, like just like motorcycle mice from Mars, you know? Is that is that even what they're biker called? Biker mice. B- biker mice? Okay. Sure, it's Samurai motorcycle. Pizza Cats. or Pizza, yeah. Or as we heard in the opening sequence, the- um, Street sharks. Street sharks. Oh my fucking God, that is extraordinary. What What are these now? Okay, so street sharks, from what I understand, were ordinary street people. <laughs> <laughs> they were ordinary <laughs> sharks living on the streets. Yeah. No, they were people who were transformed into sharks. Homeless um, people. No, but they, they love extreme sports. That's that's key. Right. Okay, that, Alex, that's, Alex the you should explain the figures, it. they were like a glove? That's why they were on the street. Yeah, they were on the street. It, it wasn't because they were streets. homeless. It was because they, uh-huh. they're into like BMX biking and rollerblading. Oh, I, want, I was thinking they were like urchins. <laughs> I don't know. Right, Do you yeah, think no, that's streets, all based on the, the, street on the land is a, shark It's skit? a sequel to Newsies. Oh, yeah. No, it has nothing to do with Land Shark. Like, maybe someone saw that and they're like, I could make a toy out of that if it was but just But Land more... Shark is just not, it's not specific enough. Street Shark. Where yes. on land? 
Because I mean, my goodness, I, uh, I, I prairie saw, shark. That's boring. I saw oh, an episode where kidding. where they like get dropped in this water world, and then they're like, "Oh God, I can't swim, dude." It was it was oh, hilarious. That's pretty awesome. The sharks can't swim. Yeah, the sharks can't swim. Was it? But was it like a one and, of those like bonehead moments, like in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where, where they're like, "Oh wait, no, we're amazing. We can do that." Like th- I feel like Michelangelo no, they got they got always... saved by like some Atlantis princess or something. Uh-huh. So no, it wasn't because they were awesome. All the plot. Were so asinine that they it, it was as though when all they're the in plots on all the cartoons when they were in yeah. the process of creating the plot there is no point where they think to themselves or there's an editor like there's no story editor who's saying to them that's not likely that why doesn't make would, sense why would a robot turn into a choo choo train well, because that's not the point the point are these moments that are creating a character that's that's exciting and out of this world that is both relatable but also. But, uh, but when you create a character that's like exciting and out of this world, then there's no like logic to it, you know. Exactly. But you also have to have the loser characters that when you go to the store, there's a ton of those, and and not the one you were looking for. I wonder how much of the desire to create these uh, fantastic things that you could possess, as Eric was saying, you know, yeah, like, uh, comes out of just the 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 mind-blistering ennui of being a child. Absolutely. I think there's... This is what I think is sort of depressing about this, what Alex was saying about this, like, overstimulating ad experience that children have, is that it's not that kids are too dumb and they only respond to flashing lights and loud noises. It's that... And I think this is a keen awareness that these advertisers have, is that kids are really lonely... And they're really like actually alone in the world. Like, but but as more so now and in the second half of the twentieth century because of suburbia. Okay, yes, that's true. I think suburbia play, plays a part in that, but I also think it's just intrinsic. I think it's like an ontological like thing for for kids are just necessarily alone because they're forming, they're in formation, they're transforming, they're tra- oh. they're they're the kids are the transformers. Oh man, that was a stupid thing to turn into a grown up. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> they don't have Which control they, over it the same way that the transformers, you know, they don't get to choose whether or not they turn into an airplane. That's just they're how born they... this way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, had to... yeah, we, uh, we've got to do that more in this show. No, but the wait, what? <laughs> Eric was saying earlier, uh, what is their natural state? If they yeah. if they transform into these things when they came to Earth uh, in order to hide because they're robots in disguise, then what's their natural state? But they don't have a natural state. No, yeah. Exactly. No, they, have ro- they were like robots on like a metal planet, and they were made out of metal. <laughs> but they looked exactly like the transformers that it we makes... see on Earth, and those transformers look like that because they are covered with, out of, yeah. with the little parts that they eventually turn into, the hubcaps and the, the wings and the... You know, and the, the giant sp- gun that's held by another transformer. Wait, so transformers are the cyborgs of stolen parts because they're they're made out of the emblems of humanity, of, of yeah, construction, of, of industry, of busyness. It's, and they make no goddamn sense, though, because like I, guess, I guess, no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, I guess that's the same analogy for people and God. But I find it hard to believe that robots evolved like somebody had to build those robots. And I know I'm sounding like Candace Cameron here, <laughs> but like. Robots don't just appear. <laughs> they are like everything else in the Saturday morning cartoon that where they uh, are inspired by a toy. 
the idea first comes what can be sold, and then the story is built around that. So it's sort of like yeah, a, but you know what, like I, an improv comedy sketch where you you start out with this bizarre premise, and then you're tasked with creating the the meaningful world around it, and then all the parts fit together in such a, a unlikely way. Yeah, but way. you know what, you know what, the answer my kid mind came up with. Like this was, I was not until I was a grown up in the Transformer movies was coming out, and then someone's like, "Oh, you know, they're from uh, Omicron Planetoid, Cybertron. They're from Planet Rock." Um, I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? That wasn't a thing." But apparently, it's a thing. I just, as a kid, was like, "Oh, we just built a car that could turn into a robot." And this is, I think, what you're saying right now makes me think that I was actually wrong when I said that. There isn't Kids really <laughs> no no that there isn't really a logic to this stuff because I think yeah. that there is absolutely a logic and that and like we were watching Fat Albert earlier oh, and God. that has definitely an like a logic unto itself mm-hmm. but that was motivated completely differently like the idea Did he come of, from some fat planet <laughs> no, the idea it, of Fat Albert was like the idea of Captain Planet which was that it was the the point was to satisfy federally mandated. Uh, I uh, just, what about scheduling Fat requirements on but, uh, about also for educational like programming? But I think that that isn't. No, I I think that even though it's not like explicitly educational, there are like certain benchmark like moral choices and things that characters say in Transformers that speak to that sort yeah. same sort of structure. Like the good guys still win, the bad guys are very monolithic and and easily dealt with ultimately. And but part of this was is like also to, sure to change by oil. Sorry. Part of this also was to satisfy the same FCC regulations, which mm-hmm. is why, for example, G.I. Joe had the, uh, you know, more you know. Uh, what, oh. what was it? Uh, uh, knowing G.I. is half the battle, Joe. right? Yes. N- knowing is half the battle. And the uh, the idea of that was that you can sell the program as being educational if you spend the last 60 seconds of it telling kids not to eat poison. You know, you can have whatever kind of destructive, materialistic, uh, violent narrative that you want, you know, teaching kids to love guns and to be incredibly nationalistic and to be intolerant of people who are, for example, you know, not white. And then... What do you think G.I. Joe was, like, all about a, like... All the bad guys were coded Asian. Like in... Like in a um, Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I disagree. But that's an interior. That's the logic I'm talking about. Even though it's not good or moral logic, it does or moral the to Baroness, us logic. But the I Baroness does. is a sexy librarian. She's uh, I don't know. I feel like Fat what Albert doesn't make sense. The cloth on his head. He what? We don't. I don't even really know understand the point is. you're making though. Well, because Andre's saying that all the bad guys are Asian and G.I. Joe, but they're like... Well, except for the women who were coded as simply being evil because they were women. No, and smart. They were also evil because they were smart. (laughs) Alex? (laughs) Oh, uh, no, I just don't think Fat Albert make Like, I don't see the logic. Like, the moral at the end of that that no smoking episode we saw wasn't, like, don't smoke. It was just like... There's nothing you can do about it. It was don't be judgmental and let people work. I mean, let them know. They were like, the only thing you can do is let the, let them know how you feel about it. But it, it was like your daddy smokes, like everybody smokes, and we're all fucked. I thought that was like really emotionally intelligent, though, as like a thing. Like it reminded me a little bit of the, like, I don't know. No, it didn't really remind me of anything that I watched when I was a kid. It just it just reminded me of smart children's books. Well, yeah, now. because the whole show is coming from the perspective of the adults in the cartoon, which is, well, we smoke, but we don't want you to smoke, yeah. right? Like it, 
it all is like, uh, well, you know, if you smoke, you won't be able to play baseball. And if you smoke, you might get a cough once in a while. I mean, like, they were really it's reaching condescending, for, for yeah. reasons to tell kids not to smoke. Like, they didn't, they never once said cancer. Well, they, that hadn't, I mean, no. cancer hadn't happened yet. Well, no, but it wasn't, that was before Truth and, and the huge uh, Informer movie with uh, Russell Crowe and all that. Why is Bill Cosby always trying to be my dad? Bill Cosby is a pain in my ass. Is he? Does he have kids of his own? Yeah, I believe so. I think so. I don't know that for a fact, but he seems like he would. Well, I'm not his kid. <laughs> he seems like a dad. I, I think, well, he ha- has that uh, on Fat Albert. It seems that Bill Cosby is a dad and that he's um, interested in edifying these these rapscallions. And it's so weird for him to stand in as a, like a moral authority figure. Yeah. You know, especially with all of this awful stuff happening now. I know, and I was thinking, I was actually talking to Alex about this earlier, how maybe, I have this. Maybe that makes him the perfect dad. Sorry, it yeah. just like, I don't know. He ultimately disappoints you, even though you <laughs> revered him as a child. Right, he spends, uh, what, decades? Because that show was on for 12 years. It was on Saturday oh, really? morning t- TV from 73 to 85, I believe. Huh. And it was it was one of the longest running uh, Saturday morning cartoons uh, in history. And nobody watched it. Well, I watched it when I was a kid. I think a lot of kids watched it, actually. It, otherwise, it wouldn't have been on that long. I know. I don't know. I mean, like, it was on. It, it was on, and, you know, like Captain Planet, if there was anything inside of you that wanted to believe in a moral universe, then there might have been some sort of an appeal from, <laughs> you know, watching. Nobody watched Captain Planet. I watched Captain Planet. Yeah, yeah, but that was one of the too. shows you'd watch on the way to waiting for the show you actually want to watch. And the idea of changing channels was just not... Well, this was always the negotiation, right, with the Saturday morning cartoons. It's always the the back and forth between entertainment, which isn't really entertainment so much as it is keeping your attention while we sell you something, and then on the other side, uh, fulfilling an educational mandate, which was never actually educational either because it wasn't teaching you anything that was actually valuable. It wasn't teaching you critical thinking skills or you know, to question authority or anything. It was, they were telling you things like, uh, recycle. Know, yeah. Don't get into a van with a stranger. You know, that still seems like useful information. Though. Don't, don't use the stove. If your parents aren't home, they were you know, kind of encouraging you to, to dye your hair green though. Yeah. That's a little, but that's like a totally, I mean, that's like my, my mom used to always say when I was growing up that she was like, I don't really care if you dye your hair or you like do like weird, like dress weird or whatever, because that's like, totally like not a big deal at all because it's ultimately impermanent like it and to for parents to stress out about like their kids uh dyeing their hair doing all that stuff means that they're probably if their kids are rebelling that way and they're not getting away with it that they'll try like harder drugs anyway and i think that that's like that sort of like soft but firm approach that like these cartoons are trying to model as as parents i don't know so much of it is that it's like the Saturday morning cartoon is TV's attempt to raise your children for you. Yeah, yeah totally. Definitely. Like uh, TV always has this thing where it's sort of an, an electronic uh, guardian, you know, that is doing the job of uh, being your friend and being your parent and making you not feel lonely and keeping you safe and stuff. But never so much as on Saturday morning. And then at the exact same time, also t- trying to get you to become like this zombified or robotic uh, spokesperson for their marketing firm, mm-hmm. you know, to, so you will go and 
bug your parents. Like there was a, a TV show on HBO in the late 80s and early 90s called, uh, I think it was called uh, Mom, Buy Me That or something like this, where they are teaching children about the ways in which television is attempting to indoctrinate you into commercialism. Uh, you know, they, they show you the technology that they use in when they're shooting commercials to make food look more delicious. Oh, is this yeah. before Linda Ellerby? This would have been around the same time, but she would have been on Nickelodeon. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious if that was like a similar... There was a whole kind of weirdly socially progressive for yeah. six-year-olds thing going on yeah. on HBO and Nickelodeon and, and, uh, and PBS, too. Where, you know, they they see, oh, you know, the Saturday morning cartoons are attempting to teach children stuff, but the stuff that they're teaching them is such nonsense. But I think we're forgetting that, like, I don't know, with The Simpsons and, like, in the 90s, like, you get all these shows that start, like, subverting this traditional, yeah. ver- like, mm-hmm. idea of cartoons. And you get, like, Freakazoid, like we talked about, like, uh, the Animaniacs, like, where it's, like, now cartoons are doing something different because they're starting to realize that, the the standards for a cartoon are different than for like a live action. Yeah, there's like show. this sort of weird. I'm not. I I use this term cautiously. Like this sort of like avant garde almost impulse where they're like taking the mainstream thing and just flipping it on its head as like I, a way to um, both use the tools of the thing, but while commenting on it and the same at the same time. And well, I, th- but I think there, it was... there was a a really strict reason for that, which was that in 1992 the FCC regulations changed and you were no longer allowed to sell. Uh, you're no, no longer allowed to advertise a product that was tied indirectly to the program. But I also think mm-hmm. the like original uh, intention still like existed in, or like the original idea, which was like this stuff doesn't make sense. Like these, the logic of a of a cartoon isn't based in reality. So then, that allowed people freedom to uh, make cartoons that aren't. I, I don't know. Are sort but if of you're subvert- trying to make a good cartoon, then you would attempt to do things like, for example, make the animation better, make it more dynamic. Like the Saturday morning cartoons that we were just watching today, they were advertised and uh, they were animated on what's called uh, twos or threes, you know, where you each individual animation frame is um, multiplied by two or three so that you only have, for example, 12 frames per second or eight frames per second. And this makes it much cheaper to produce. Uh, you would, for example, maybe just animate the eyes and the mouth, you, or you would reuse animation. There were there were a thousand ways in which they went in the opposite direction of what you're talking about, of uh, the avant-garde. The avant-garde only became uh, a feasible motive for animation on network television in the 90s when the business model changed. And it became about syndicating first-run animation. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, when you're selling the cartoon as being a thing that's going to draw in high-value advertisers, and the people who produce the cartoon are no longer the people who are creating the advertising for the cartoon, but instead the network is getting that Uh, revenue, then the network cares about the cartoon being as good as possible. And that's why you have Amblin Entertainment creating Looney Tunes, uh, um, Tiny Tunes, and uh, Animaniacs, Amblin being the production company that belonged to Steven Spielberg. Because he's a guy who was deeply invested in children's entertainment throughout the 80s. And apparently Hollywood of the 30s. Well, yeah. Because I thought that was weird as a kid that they were like all the tiny tunes and animaniacs were like always ripping on Orson Welles and like talking about like like Peter Lorre and stuff like that. And it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, like there's this thing I think that 
was great about Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies and stuff like that in the 30s, 40s, and 50s where the, cartoons like that were shown in movie theaters where like right. parents would take their kids and it was very much like Pixar functions today where adults are are similarly interested in it as the kids. Like, yes, it's for kids. Like, that's the demographic. But it's like, it won't, hey, parents, like, take your kids to see this, but it, and it won't, and you'll like it too. It won't make, or at yeah. least it won't make you tear, want to tear your hair out. You know, like it's. It, we'll throw on some grown up jokes. Yeah, but it's not just like because the grown up jokes function twofold. They function as grown up jokes, but also like mm-hmm. even if you don't know who Peter Laurie is, like Peter Laurie is a pretty weird guy. Like as a kid, you're yeah. gonna be like, oh, who's this weirdo? Like yeah. it's like when I was a kid watching Aladdin, and uh, oh um. Robin Williams as the genie does like a Peter Laurie impression. I thought it was hilarious, uh, and I didn't right. realize it was a P- Peter Laurie impression until I was older. Yeah, he's just doing a funny voice. Yeah, I think it's weird how I feel like Betty Boop sort of like is maybe like the reverse of that, where it's like this is a cartoon for adults, mm-hmm. but like because it's animated, like your kid can sit there and watch it and be. Confused. That's a really good point. Yeah. Uh. Well, there wasn't nearly as much uh, segregation between different uh, kinds of entertainment back then because this would have been before the MPAA and uh, before television standards got, uh, you know, graded, for example, where there was an explicit separation between children's programming and grown-up television. Uh, And so, you know, Betty Boop had to necessarily appeal to both grown-ups and children. You know, later on, uh, you know, the MPAA comes about in the 60s and now you're separating out the audiences. Now you have an audience where you can have children and you have an audience where there is no children. And now it no longer makes sense for animation to appeal to grown-ups because the grown-ups aren't the people who are making the decision about what movie to go see. Well, that was also, no one had TV or anything like that at the beginning when they would have Betty Boop on the reel before the film. Sure. So like they had to put that stuff in there too because that was the way you were getting anybody or you know what I mean like you would bring the whole family out to go see a movie or something because this was before all the in home entertainment in home and entertainment and also the like well, variety no, of advertising so then we right see, but the so variety we... of stuff being produced there just wasn't that much set up at that point you know it was still Right. As they developed the technology of marketing, what they figured out was that it's possible to advertise directly to exactly who it is you want to get to. You don't need to get to everybody and sell right. like Coca-Cola to every human being on the planet. You can sell just He-Man action figures just to little boys between the ages of six and ten. And that's the loneliness, I think, that I was trying to get at is that like when we have that now, that like commercial model well, they're all commercial models, but like that's explicitly commercial model where you're trying, your demographic is nine-year-old boys. That's a, a sign of like the suburban loneliness that came about and was or was was dominant in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Whereas before, family ent- entertainment was a public event. The family was still both a private institution and also a public performance. And I think what happens, and there's this, lo- this sense of loneliness and ennui that we've been discussing, is that because there is now in-home entertainment of all kinds. And so the family is now private, is a right. like, exclusively private institution. I just feel like if your market is 10-year-old boys, then like, how are you not going to pay attention to the fact that you have a giant butthole floating in space? You know, like they're yeah. going to notice that. Well, part of it is that uh, one of the 
consequences of the political changes in the 70s was that these a- animation more buttholes on <laughs> these <laughs> these animation studios that were in the United States in the 60s and early 70s slowly started to move their business over to Japan and Korea and so you start to see all these weird cultural artifacts of the influence of the the artists that were in yeah. Japan and Korea yeah. and you know the you see the faces start to change you see the like the transformers as objects right uh, you know that's not something that you saw in America in the 70s you know it's got to be some sort of an influence from the fact that all of our children's culture in the 80s was being produced by uh, Korean men. Mm-hmm. I I think that's like that's so American to me. This idea of an, like a n- like such an American emblem, like such an American cultural emblem, is the Saturday morning cartoon. Yet it's you know manufactured in Korea and Japan, but then has the theme song, which to me is which is like seems to me so musical theatery, um, which is you know a American art form. Uh, and so there's I can't I'm trying to figure out what to make of that. Like this. You start the thing off, the theme song becomes, it gets in your head uh, and, you know, structures your understanding of the show. It, it's like a sign for the show itself, the narrative itself. And the songs are, are always the best part. And they're so catchy. Denver, The Last Dinosaur, that is a fucking banging song. Oh, my God. And the songs in the Transformers movie. And then New Kids on the Block had their own show. Like, music was was becoming... Uh, not just New Kids. MC Hammer had his own MC show. MC Hammer. Michael Jackson had his own cartoon. They... The music at by the early '90s, they got to the point where they were like, "We'll start with the music and sell you the music, yeah. and then the cartoon is just something that you watch between songs." Is there a way that these these movies, like Transformers Today, felt a lot like musical theater to me? And it seems like this sort of, and this is happening at the same time as Les Mis. Well, it's is not. Being it's successful. not. It's not musical theater. I mean, it's. I mean, it's, okay. I, it's you musical the... cinema. I, the, the melodramas that were going on in uh, Hong Kong and Korea and Japan in the '60s and '70s were all incredibly musical, but they weren't inspired by musical theater. They were inspired by the American musical cinema that was inspired by musical theater. Okay. Okay. But I, I think Fair you enough. say that because you have these like heavy metal acts that are very like theatrical in like their singing and like and their performance too like we had like what is judas priest on the it wasn't judas priest it, wasn't it, was... it was a sound alike it was uh stan bush trying to sound stan like judas, bush. Priest, judas priest kate bush's <laughs> annoying younger brother is my but i i think yeah okay well okay so it's not technically musical theater but the idea is that music is guiding the narrative and helping construct the narrative and define characters and establish who they are and that's in turn being sold to people yeah, what music was happening is integral a ton that. in tv at the time okay i'm agreeing with you i'm just well, no 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 describing but, it. but it's interesting the for example this is around the same time that uh miami vice was mm. a big hit which was uh you know very different show from the kind of stuff that was on tv otherwise because of its use of pop music Yes. And, you know, MTV is starting around then as well. You know, these uh, these cartoons are competing with MTV for 12-year-old viewers. Yeah. Yeah, and then think about all the successful shows now. Like, uh, CSI, you know, is obviously successful because of Law & Order has a very recognizable theme song. Mm. Uh, Law & Order yeah. has... You know, which sounds very 80s to me. Um, 
Well, yeah, because it's from 1989. I know, and then they, but they kept it. They didn't fuck with it at all. Like it's, it's. There's something weirdly timeless about Law and Order to me. I like how they have all the variations for all their franchises. Wait, what are the variations? I can't even I think can't. of them right yeah, now. Sing it, sing it for us. Perform, dance, <laughs> monkey, do the dance. Same. I, you know, I can hear it, but I can't make it. Well, there's a special victims unit. <laughs> all the rape victims are going to be saved. They're attack. not just victims. They're special. They're sexy victims. Um. No, they <laughs> they do the theme song, but they're like it's got a dun 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 part, and then a like do do do. What like a rockabilly part? No, not Christopher Maloney with a with a bouffant. Um, no, never mind. Just just know that that it's out there. Special victims. Did you guys ever have like? extreme like moral dilemmas like while watching these cartoons like yes yeah constantly like, yeah what? i who's the good guy who's the bad guy who oh. yeah all that oh that mine i was, was thinking less... that today like we're talking about like all the surface stuff like the character and the plot and this but like the actual and like we talked about like moral as like a as like a tool like at the end of uh uh the G. cosby G. the Co- yeah gi joe um but like i don't know these situations that these characters get in do you guys like Ever. I know I freaked out like at, like during Spider Man or like during X Men like oh especially mean? when like, they're tell, like tell X Men you... especially X Men was a I think probably the one that that's that, the one that, that fits into this mold because they were always uh, it was about whether it was a, a good idea to use violence to uh, counteract yeah. tyranny yeah well I, and there also was and like I was, I was like why aren't they using more violence come on <laughs> yeah it was like you guys are boring no I I don't know I. Like Wolverine, I, that was the set. Wolverine never got to fucking use his claws. But there also for was like weird, useful. like sexual tension. I think during X Men, or maybe that was just oh, me yeah. becoming <laughs> a, uh, a, a little man. Yeah, sure. No, yeah, Wolverine. He has Yo. to constantly struggle. You know, should he act on his feelings toward Jean Grey, or should he uh, respect the relationship that she has with uh, Scott Summers? You know, <laughs> I, I feel like you can't avoid avoid it. Like in any of these cartoons, especially when the animators are, like, drawing these, like, bulbous breasts. Bulbous breasts sounds, bulbous sounds like you should go to the doctor. Breasts. Um, <laughs> She-Ra yes. and He-Man. And... Well, there was a huge intimacy thing with Ugh. Gambit and... Uh, uh, yeah, Rogue. Because, you know... Yeah, she can't she kiss. Taught, yeah. Oh, yeah. See? And then Jubilee's, like, the the girl that has the crush on Wolverine. He's like, you're too young for and the, me. And the big moral dilemma for any of these kind of weird fantasy sci-fi shows is you, you go back in time, what do you do? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, I fuck. See, this is what I, I I hate that shit. This is why I don't like sci-fi and I don't watch it. But on <laughs> these shows, and all pretty much all the fantasy sci-fi shows, as I was saying about He-Man and She-Ra, and also um, we took a look at an episode of Flash Gordon earlier today. Women are depicted in such a way. It's not. I mean, it's way, it's more than misogynistic. It seems mm-hmm. to me like this sort of prince level of misogyny, in the sense that it's incredibly gay and also like really both misogynistic but also like women are like really awesome and powerful like there's this weird like 80s thing about... it's like the thing from wonder woman where she was depicted as being incredibly powerful but also constantly getting tied up for some reason mm, yeah. i wonder why that is uh, but i go back going back to the thing that alex brought up about moral dilemmas i think that in part is why it's not the only reason i hate scooby-doo but isn't a big reason I hate Scooby-Doo is that whenever they reveal that the monster was really just like a jaded millionaire, I always have found myself being like, 
oh, like he just feels insecure. Like that's that must suck. Like even though he's an asshole, like and he shouldn't have done that. Like I just feel really bad for like. I'm, for the he, it's person coming, committing insurance fraud? It's coming out of a place of vulnerability, you know? And I'm, like, trained to, like, I feel like I've been inducted into this uh, consciousness where I'm constantly just, like, scanning for who's who feels weak. And if someone's mean to me, it's because they're... Maybe because people were mean to me a lot when I was a kid and my parents or people would always say, oh, it's because they're insecure enough. So I'm always just like, they're insecure. They're insecure. Got to take care of their the, insecurities. Well, Yeah, but... I don't know. I mean, they're criminals. I know, No, I understand that that is correct. No, but this is good. <laughs> this is like why cartoons, this is why cartoons should be complicated. Like there shouldn't be like a black and white good guy, bad guy. Because like that sort of attitude is what makes people to act like assholes. But right? if you teach the kids to be um, critical and to have a, you know, a strong moral compass and to, you know, think about the consequences of their actions, then it's way harder to get them to buy action figures. <laughs> I feel like we're assuming, we're making an assumption that cartoons actually influence the the way children behave. Do we think that this is true? Well, they, they influence the way children feel. Okay, but is it actually true? Are we really saying that because of G.I. Joe, kids felt bad about, kids, white kids in America didn't like... Asian people. Do we think that this is a thing that this show is doing? I think one of the children? things that the the racist Asian stereotypes on GI Joe does is that it makes you, uh, it prevents you from seeing Asian people as being human beings. Okay, yeah, as being that like is true. you. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I guess I that was a bad example. What I mean is that. I, I think Eric's upset that you're like ruining his childhood. Right no, now. I'm. I just don't know. Like, what are you talking about? I'm saying that the racist Asian stereotypes on Joe and on Flash Gordon and on a number of other animated uh, series and on other TV shows. I mean, a lot of live action uh, adventure series in the 80s and even in the 90s would they would often use the uh, you know the Asian bad guy and still today. It happens do, all no, the time. I don't. What, who are the Asian bad guys on GI Joe? The bad guys. They're like they're dressed like ninjas. There's a ninja, and there is a G.I. Joe counterpoint. It's Storm Shadow and whatever the other guy's name is. What other what other characters? You have Destro, who, if anything, looks like a black guy made out of metal. And then you have Cobra Commander, who you can't see who he is because he's got either You don't feel that Cobra Commander or... is Asian uh, No, I think this is a lot about you. <laughs> I do. I never, ever, and no one else in the entire time I was a kid, and well, you like that never came up. He's he's anonymous. He's got a mirror face. I mean, I didn't even when I was a kid. I didn't even notice that Flash Gordon was racist. But like, eventually, it's time you grow to grow up. up yeah. yeah, and then you 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 see the stuff right in front of you. The same way that you you know you get older and you see the way in which uh, villains are coded as gay in cartoons, yeah. and you know it's. I don't know. Well, I, we didn't watch. I, were, I don't know if you did before I got here, but we did not see a G.I. Joe episode. And I don't, That's true. Maybe we shouldn't talk so much yeah. about G.I. Joe I'm not, not having saying, been as fresh as we could be. I'm not saying there that if we were to watch it, there wouldn't be all kinds of problematic stereotyping, but I really don't know where your like, uh, thesis or your, your – uh, what, your – there's a lot of stuff on the internet about how G.I. Joe is racist. If you, I just Googled G.I. Joe racism and there's just like a bunch of stuff like there's a YouTube video that's like 
uh, G.I. Joe, American hero or American racist? And I'm not saying that like the internet is always true, but it seems that there are if G.I. people Joe other isn't than racist, Andre that It's agree. the only cartoon I'm in history that's saying, not racist. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not. I'm just, what, I, what I'm questioning is you're like... Well, cause gospel G- truth that all of, all everyone in Cobra is Asian and bad. I, I think it's like, weird though. Like we might like end up relating to the bad guys sometimes. Like or, like like I, because they have these weird quirks that aren't like the white football player guy, like Flash Gordon. Like I right. I, I don't know. Like I really like Starscream, mostly just because yeah. of his his voice, but also like he's like ambitious. Oh. He, he wants to. He also hates Megatron. Megatron. No. <laughs> Starscream here in the studio. Oh, wow, what what a delight. Oh, so glad he could join You're us. You're all standing in my way to achieve my greatness. Oh man, we didn't yeah. Um The villains uh, are, Oh he left. Okay. The villains are very <laughs> well, he just flew out Yeah. They're Nietzschean, aren't they? The villains. The the oh thing every villain in those cartoons has in common is that they want power. Like they, it's not that they they never have reasonable or uh, identifiable, uh, you know, plans for. No, they some... just want power. Yeah. Right. You know, the, it's not like Skeletor wants, you know, uh, sovereignty for the the skeleton people. You know, he's not like some kind of a Northern Irish uh, freedom fighter. Well, that's the logic of that's in the show is that, and that's, it's that's what makes it, it that's what makes it appeal to my moral sensibility as a child. Is I was like, okay, they're really bad. They need to go. I don't feel there's no wishy-washiness. I'm not. Except that's even when you're trying to do that, there's always these gaps. There's always these moments like on Scooby-Doo where I'm just like, oh, God, the poor jaded millionaire. <laughs> well, it's because they aren't actually monsters. Yeah. They're, they're just wearing costumes. There aren't. Well, there is a yeah. giant talking dog. So there's at least one monster. But that's, that's part <laughs> well, of the mythos. He doesn't actually talk. He's not like the talking cat because he's like. So he's like a Malamute. But but Scrappy Scrappy, oh, he can yeah. talk. Puppy power. Oh no! I remember my friend used to I hate say that show. I think Sc- Scrappy was sometimes like reading the racing form and chomping on a yeah. cigar. Oh you know, yeah. He didn't just talk. He was he like had anxieties. Well, he's like yeah. <laughs> it's like when they bring <laughs> in debt. <laughs> when they bring in uh, the uh, out of out of character addition late addition to save the show. The cousin Oliver. Cousin Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the trope. They, the uh, the baby growing up really fast on growing pains, or like the um, we talk the, about some growing pains. The John Stamos and Lori Loughlin's twins when Michelle got too old on Full House, or in the Transformers movie where we see all of your favorite Transformers die and then get replaced with brand new ones that you have to go out and purchase. Only so, one of them died that we saw. Well, we saw that uh, the. Transformers, who were the Decepticons, all got uh, shot and sent out into the space and then oh, got right. changed into brand new ones. Did people buy yeah. Decepticons at the same rate that they bought the Autobots? They probably bought to, them more. To, fought, to fight each other, Well, I the guess? Decepticons were cooler. I never yeah, really got true. to participate in Transformers because that was decided it was too expensive of a toy. They were very expensive because they were complicated. They were worth it. They were great. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I didn't have any Transformers, so I just, you know... I don't have the same relationship as G.I. Joe. It's cheaper to buy a G.I. Joe figure. Everybody experiences... Especially the Asian ones, Andre. Poverty and privilege in different ways. They had good guys, too. Quick Kick was Asian. See, this is another issue of... like, 
it was so much more of a an, of a deal the the materialism and and uh, you know income disparity like when you're trying to socialize with other kids before video games were a huge deal it, it was toys toy. yeah who would do you have the toy but it would also be like you could they had some of the toys and you had some of the toys so you could like yeah make them up. fight yeah right you know that was the that's the dream but then as much as that happened also there would be the opposite which was i'm jealous yeah i, yeah. I also like i remember one of my friends like fucked one of my transformers up that was oh yeah I that was the that. end of end of that right because you're teaching children not just to value their possessions right but also to have an anxiety about their possessions. Or covet the possessions of others. Uh, you know, I think that there's more to this than that. I mean, the, this is what the way that capitalism is insidious is not because it makes you worry about your objects. It's because it makes you codify your experiences and emotional attachments in terms of objects. Yeah. So you're upset, Alex. This is, you know, get on the couch. I'm going to sit in this chair. Uh, you, you were upset about that because you loved playing with your Transformer. Not, you didn't care about the thing in and of itself. It's not like a fucking teacup that you like prize. You know, I dis- it's like I disagree. You think it? You think? So you this- think I loved it as more than just an object? Yeah, like the Velveteen Rabbit. That's what the Velveteen Rabbit teaches us. It's not just you don't like it, the thing so much as you like how the thing makes you feel. Exactly. It's why, like, yeah. I really? think that people have different relationships with their objects, though. I'm like, not sure I have sure, that much were, emotional complexity. There were tons of little boys out there getting their GI Joes and strapping uh, M80s to their backs right. and blowing them to little pieces. Yeah, but I—I yeah. I mean, okay, that's my toys. I was very like I screwed up little kids that ended up going and being investment. Well, bankers. that's what we see in the film Toy Story. Yeah, is Sid. is the moral universe of children is that they're Sid, mm. you know, who tortures tortures toys, toys and. Uh, his the joy he gets the exp- his the only use for objects for him is that they can be destroyed and that makes him feel powerful. And Toy Story is exactly the fantasy yes. of the Saturday morning cartoon and its relationship with toys, mm-hmm. because Toy Story says these toys that you have that you care so much about these little plastic objects being built by Chinese slaves you're the same <laughs> age as you were valuable to you because they are alive. So I haven't seen Toy Story 3. Did they really go to rescue oh the my kid God. from the factory? It's Toy Story 3 is extraordinary. It's like it's everything I thought I I always thought that not when I was a kid I didn't I figured this out later that like the relationship between Andy and the toys is like the relationship between God and his children but also vice versa like the toys are both God and the children and Andy is both God and the children. It's but like it's a super mirror. early Old Testament version of yes, that story where exactly. God, where you would expect God to just be like hanging out, where like you you go to the grocery <laughs> store. Oh, there's God. There's God over there Watching buying you. bananas. You know, yeah. he was just like there all the time, just hanging around, like he had nothing yeah. better to do. That movie taught me to fear death in a totally new way. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Like, there's wow. so many. The thing that's cool about these cartoons and about movies, there's so many, you learn there's so many different ways to fear death. There's not just one fear. There's so many ways of experiencing this fear. Oh, you should be afraid of death because your parents will be upset. Oh, you should be ups- You should be afraid of death because it means that they're, that the world is not finite. Or you should, you know, there's so but many different reasons. it also has an unrealistic, we were talking about that today at the Garfield where the guy got crushed by everything. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no death in cartoons though too. Oh, yeah, well that's also, well, equally be- horrifying because there's no consequences in cartoons because they don't physically exist they're it, ephemeral it, everything about the image 
is manufactured. There's no yeah. uh, indexical relationship with reality. Which is, but toys can last forever. So you get the experience, the experience from the TV show, that sense of uh, ephemera, and then, but you're like, oh shit, but it's fleeting, and now the show's over, and I can never, wa- I can never watch that show again for the first time. Right. The toy so becomes the toy. A, a totem yeah. for the uh, talisman, the, yeah. the ritual that was performed on television. Totally, it's like why I hold on to playbills after seeing a show. Right, or people with a rosary after they go to mass. All yeah, all of that. You know, it it holds power because of an experience that you went through. And it's a, but it's a fantasy ultimately. I mean, the thing, things never really. Right, right. So yeah. then, when your neighbor like fucks up your transformer, then you like are confronted with death. Exactly, and if oh, your parents yeah. get you and, a and new also, one, it's not the same. You and know? also disrespect for your idol. Uh, you know, yeah. you get a pleasure from imbuing this object with power. And when somebody disrespects it, then you are in the position of, you know, Moses or, you know, any number of uh, prophets of Christ and God and all that who have to go out and defend their deity. Maybe I'm going a little bit too yeah. far with that one. <laughs> oh, man. I think... It was a- well, the you thing must I love about out against that which has struck out against you and your god. The thing I love about music, though, and the songs is that e- even though I mean they're slightly less ephemeral, like they're still ephemeral. Like even when you're done listening to the song, and even though it's stuck in your head, you're like, sometimes I still like really want to listen to the song, you know, even though I like know it. Like I know all of the words to like pretty much all of Bjork songs, but I still like to like listen to the albums because it's like it like fills that need, you know, like oh I need to listen to this, and I think. That's a a thing about um, theme songs too, and then they they function in tandem with the cartoon, but in a slightly different way due to it's like less ephemeral. How nature. are cartoons ephemeral? Cartoons, especially Saturday morning cartoons, because this is something that I'm I'm glad we're talking about because this is uh, really interesting to me. Who knows why? Uh, that Saturday morning especially became this weird time where. It, for a lot of kids, like, for example, kids who had school every day except for Saturday and Sunday, and on Sunday they had church, right? Like, Saturday was their day mm-hmm. to do whatever yeah. they wanted with their morning. And what they chose to do was watch cartoons. And so you wake up super early yeah, on a day you don't have to. And then you get up and you're full of sugary cereal, which has the characters from the cartoon that you are about to watch, right? And... It's sort of disorienting. You sort of put yourself in a state. You know, you wake up so early and it's so, you're like woozy even, right? And if you wake up early enough, you get to see the weird cartoons from, oh my God. from overseas, yeah. you know? Like they used to show Ultraman. Oh, yeah. Or uh, the, the Japanese Mega Man cartoon. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. And so, you know, you, you sort of get this feeling like Saturday morning, if you get up early, you're re- rewarded with access to this crazy, weird world. And if you get up early enough, you see the really weird stuff. There's this wonderful memory I have that is that is a part of this feeling you're describing where when I was little, I got up, it was Christmas Day, and it was like I got up at like 6 a.m. because I was so excited, you know, and I go in to my dad's like study and I turn on the TV and I'm watching TV and I'm watching it for hours because, you know, people aren't getting up yet. And then and I'm so like in this trance watching the TV that my brother comes out in his blue bathrobe and he says, Eleanor, it's Christmas. And I like had forgotten because I was watching TV <laughs> and I was so like, oh, my God, it's Christmas. Like it was that surprise, that feeling. Uh, and the surprise only happened because I was in this trance ritual oh. of, of morning television. Like, I don't know if it was a Saturday, but it was a holiday. So it's, you know, the same sort of thing. 
and then us running to my parents' bedroom. And I, I don't, I'll never forget that. And, and, it, and the reason I will never forget it was because it was a that, that feeling of surprise, <laughs> of forgetting and then remembering. And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been in that trance-like state. Yeah. You wake up and it's like you're awake, but you're still sort of dreaming, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was very much awake, like, you know, like energi energized and ready to go my presence, you know? And then I was lulled back to sleep dreamland by the TV yeah, show. I don't even remember what I watched. It's very much like dreaming because the, the logic of these cartoons is so uh, scattershot, you know? It's just like, oh, I guess we're, you know, wandering through some sort of a crystal castle now. And... Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, what uh, what sort of a logic is are you supposed to get from it? You're supposed to get like no logic. Well, and like the backgrounds are all like watercolor paint and mm -hmm. stuff, so it's kind of dream like just well, in the image. Yeah, and that's coming from like Warner Brothers. Like the um, I loved it in um, there's a Warner Brothers cartoon of Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner where they keep running into mirages. They're like they're like uh, they keep like someone keeps. Thinking, I think Coyote keeps thinking he sees an oasis, but it's a mirage, and it's like sort oh, of discombobulating. Yeah. It's actually very proto SpongeBob, what SpongeBob used to do, like where it's just like, what the fuck? I have nothing. I can't. I don't know what to expect. It's magic. Yeah. And Nickelodeon was a big part of the reason that Saturday morning cartoons started to go away. Mm -hmm. Was uh, you know home There's video a whole station for children, and you know, and cable. Yeah, and then and now you know Netflix and Hulu have totally superseded Saturday there's, morning cartoons. There's no reason to for a child to get up that early because you know what are they going to see? They, and also because now, uh, as of this past uh, summer, Saturday morning cartoons are no longer on television. The CW they were the last ones. They stopped doing it. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, like there was this t these times like we were talking about this weird sense of time. There's um this uh, Marseille Eliade, Eliade idea of sacred time which is both like a liminal period in the sense that it's like you're not quite sure where you are but it's also incredibly specific in that uh you know it when it's happening like when you're in the ritual when you're performing the thing when you're uh, trying to contact god or you're in contact with god or whatever it is that you believe and i think uh and there's also a concept of queer time which i still don't quite fully understand but i think connects to sacred time and i, I wonder if there's like like cartoon time is a name is a name for this like dreaminess that's not quite sacred time because it's not necessarily about like reaching out to like another thing but it's like more like turning inward into yourself and learn and locating yourself and like it's like a character building i guess like structuring your identity and attitude and orientation toward the world i i always felt like i forgot myself when i watched cartoons like i forgot so it's not locating your identity it's like something else then yeah dislocating your identity yeah it's that dream that dream thing yeah, yeah. there's something here I experiencing think. something without the self yeah. yeah and only i think only kids can do it i think there's like a um, people on on drugs can or do on it. drugs but well, isn't that what happens when you watch Netflix for like eight hours you know, when straight? You binge watch. I don't know if that's cartoon time though, because I feel I I don't I don't have that experience. Never mind. I shouldn't talk because I don't have that experience. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah, I guess, and we're supposed to be as I don't know. I like to believe that I'm a critical viewer mm -hmm. at this stage in my life, but maybe I'm just. I don't know. Well, you're never <laughs> as critical as you want to be. Right, right. And also, sometimes it, it behooves you not to be critical. There, you know, emotionally at least. Anyway, I think it's really sad that Saturday morning cartoons have come to an end. Uh, 
but I guess it was sort of inevitable. And I want to end this episode with a moment of silence. So starting now. <laughs>